Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the podcast where I share my journey writing my first novel. I am a small business owner and entrepreneur living on the coast of Maine with my cat and my husband. So today I wanted to talk about community and world building. And they don't seem to go together at first, but when I was just briefly thinking up a way to tie them in together, it really does make sense. So just bear with me. In regards to community, I'm learning the importance of surrounding yourself with like-minded people. And this is important in any aspect of your life, which I'm sure you are well aware of. But as a writer, I've usually been a pretty solitary person and just a solitary person in general. But I've had communities in my life that have uplifted me and pushed me forward. And I'm all about lifting each other up and helping each other. I just wanted to briefly thank my models um, who work with my agency, We Speak. And if any of the models are listening to this, I love you guys. This is the community that has kept me moving over the last several years and kept me motivated, even though the work that I've been doing is so incredibly hard. It's just so incredibly worth it for you guys. I'm going to tie that back into writing because community is just so important. Part of this podcast is I'm building a community right now, and I may never hear from you guys or see you, but you're there, and I appreciate you, and just declaring to the world that I am a writer and allowing that space into my life is a very positive thing for this writing journey. I originally was talking about my writing journey on my Instagram, which writing and Instagram I don't think really go together. So I'm not sure how useful Instagram is for writing. But again, you guys, the models, um, and my friends, and everyone who supports me has been super supportive of the journey that I've been posting so far, and I'm very appreciative. It has propelled me forward and excited me and given me some sort of accountability that I didn't have before. That's why I'm so excited to be starting this. So now that I've made the right steps in the right direction, I'm building this community. I'm letting it into my life. I can start connecting with people and discussing ideas and sharing our work. And all of these little steps are really important in my process, I think. I haven't done too much of it yet, but I'm really excited to just let that part into this journey where you can be vulnerable and you can share things that you don't normally share and maybe your loved ones are a little bit bored with your work if you keep bombarding them. So it's good to have somebody who is impartial and will give you feedback who is also fresh and hasn't read it before. So I um, started asking people who would be interested in reading my first drafts 
And I have like a list of volunteers and I, I love you guys. I'm happy that you want to read it. I hope that I can get it to the place where I can start sharing it with you. And I sort of plan to stagger it so that each one of you gets a different draft, a little bit more polished each time. And even though I mentioned before that I'm using some principles of StoryGrid, even though that they have mentioned that it might not be a good idea just to send drafts to your friends because they don't, they're not the experts and it might not be that useful, but they're also readers. So I think it's important to get that kind of feedback. And if it's important for your process, I would say do it, even if people are saying not to. If you have a willing volunteer who's excited about your work, I say go for it. Writing a novel is not a one-person job. I don't think any novel is a one-person job. You're going to have editors. Maybe you do the whole thing without help and then you get your editors, or you bring in a whole team, bring in your community, lean on your community because that's what they're there for. As long as you're willing to also give back to them. And when I made that realization, probably several months ago, no, not even several months, at the beginning of quarantine, actually, I was like trying to grapple with the idea of starting back on my book and feeling very disempowered and unmotivated. First of all, because I was grieving as we all are for the world we once knew, but also because I was just like, this book is too much. I can't do this alone. The people in my life are quite busy and don't necessarily have time to read, you know, the 90 pages that I have written. When I, back then it was kind of garbage. I had to get rid of a bunch of more scenes in order to keep moving forward. And I'm so glad I cut that out because hopefully I don't have to cut too many more scenes. Hopefully it's streamlined enough, but I don't know. But when I made that realization that I can't do it alone, that I need help, that's when I reached out to my mother-in-law, I think, because I was like, listen, this is not happening just on my own. And that's when she gave me the resources for StoryGrid and some other ones, maybe in another podcast, I'll mention those. Or maybe at the end of this, I'll I'll pull them back up and chat about them because I'm sure I also found them useful as well. But when I found StoryGrid at the very end, it was like the last thing I looked at. It was the one that I glommed onto. So let in your community. Build that up. Build the world that you want around yourself. Ask yourself, what sort of community am I building around me? Ask yourself, are these people going to be willing to help me out? And am I willing to help them out? Are they writers? Are they writing in your genre? These are all important things. And I'm just starting out. I don't have a big community who are writers in my own genre that I can share with, that we trust each other. I don't have that yet. And I hope that by letting this in, that eventually it could come. And also I mentioned that I might be bringing more people into the podcast. And maybe that's how I build my community is by bringing more people in. Editors and authors and 
if there's any way to leave a review on these podcasts. I don't know how it works quite yet, but if you want to leave a review and just ask questions that you would want to ask either me or an editor or another author, somebody who's published, somebody who is self-published, let me know because my mother-in-law is pretty connected and I know how to build up a community. So once that starts, I know it'll just kind of snowball, which is a good thing. It's a, it's a good snowball. <laughs> and with that, I am going to segue into world building, which seems kind of jarring and unrelated, but again, bear with me. I mentioned in the second episode that world building is my favorite part of writing. And if you are in the same genre, fantasy or sci-fi as I am, it probably is your favorite part too. But if it's not, then I don't know how world building is related to other other genres, sorry. I can only imagine like real world stuff in that case, in which case you're not building a world, you're building the world of your book around you, but you're not building a new world. In my book, it's not a new world. It's the world that we live in, but just in the future. So my my book is based hundreds of years into the future. I think it's about 200 years or so. And all of the ice caps have melted. Florida is gone. Sorry, guys. And New York as well. But New York is... Um, they're tall buildings. They're sticking out of the water. And it's so hot that everyone has moved to colder regions of the world. The New World Alliance, the capital of the world. I just made this up, but it's based in Moscow, Russia, in the Kremlin. And the reason why is because I think it's the coldest city. <laughs> the coldest like capital city around. Um, if you know otherwise, let me know, but I've already decided that it's going to be the Kremlin and the characters in the book are living on an island in Antarctica and it's a little tropical, which is fun. My world has probably developed over time, slowly, but surely. And when I finally, okay, here's my process for world building guys, if you want to get into it. I, a long time ago, saw this National Geographic map of Antarctica and the world if the ice caps melted, and so it was a really cool comprehensive map, and there's a lot of resources out there now that kind of show you what the world is going to be like if the sea level rises 200 feet, and while that's not in our near future, I definitely foresee sea levels rising quite soon, especially if we don't learn from this current quarantine and then go back to old ways of any sort and don't try to fix things. I love that the earth is healing right now, but unfortunately, I'm going to call myself a realist and not a pessimist, but I unfortunately don't believe that the current climate of our politics and our social structure is going to change anything after this whatever after this looks like maybe planes 
are grounded for good and, you know, prices hike up so that nobody can actually fly, maybe the earth continues to heal. Even if we want to get back to what we were doing before and the earth keeps healing because we can't do what we were doing before. That would be cool. But in this book, that doesn't happen. The world just spirals. It's a downward spiral for hundreds of years. Okay, maybe a hundred years. And everything is chaos. And like, eventually the government is like, okay, they get together and they create a new world alliance. And then some sort of structure forms as things start to normalize in the world, in the natural world. And so I, th- I guess this isn't helpful, but I just thought of all of this from like today through like 2200. And I actually came up with a comprehensive timeline and that, that explained each thing that was already happening in the book. Like the mutations that are found in people. The reason why um, humans have two different types of humans now. And they're not even called humans. They're actually like outcasts of society. These are the people that the book is based around. The main character is a mutant. And it's homo transitus versus homo sapien. So that's why the book is called Transitus. And I thought that Transitus was a made up word, but it's not. And I kind of like the meaning of the actual word. It's grounded in religion, which I'm not a super religious person, but the concept behind the word is pretty cool. So I decided to keep the word the way it is instead of trying to tweak it in some way that makes it made up and I just love how it rolls off the tongue for the longest time I thought this was a made-up word and maybe it's pronounced differently but in my world it's transitus and when I was writing it I didn't know how to pronounce it and I was film like I was recording one little episode that I don't think I even put out about um I was just chatting about my book last year on this and I messed up the word. I was like laughing at myself because I can't pronounce my own word. It took me a long time to develop the world that I'm in. I remember I had this like random library that was like super elaborate and extreme and they were trying to convert this library into an underwater library because it was on the shore and the water was rising that was a long time ago. I got rid of the library. It didn't make any sense. And so when I found the maps of Antarctica, I actually traced this whole map, got rid of the the land spots of Antarctica that are currently ice, and I traced it into a real map for myself. And I decided where on Antarctica that they're going to live and where their home is. And None of us know what Antarctica looks like underneath all that ice. I don't think I haven't found anything, but I did make that up. And I just imagined like volcanic rock, basically. So the rock is black 
and maybe that's not even true, but sometimes you can take some liberties in building your world. And it doesn't really matter because people aren't going to question it. People, the general person doesn't know what Antarctica looks like underneath all the ice. And even if some scientist has like an idea, that doesn't mean anything because we, we haven't seen it. So Antarctica has no ice and it's very jagged and there are like deep chasms, deep cliffs, and these people live on the cliff sides. And that's one thing that I really like to try to explain how things came to be. And this is just something that I came up with that looks and sounds really cool because they live on the cliff sides. Their houses are built onto the sides of the cliffs and they don't have... Um, vehicles or anything like that because they're kind of like an oppressed people so they have footpaths they have like footpath main footpath 91 and like switchbacks that go down this deep chasm and at the bottom there's a lake and because they're in eternal darkness in this deep crack um, there's artificial light embedded into the bottom of the lake that casts blue light up into the air for them to see. And as you know, in Antarctica, the sun, I think it's the summer where the sun, I, I, I can't keep track. I just use this little, um, there's a map that tells you what the sun's doing in Antarctica. And I use that as a reference. So the, the scenes are in March and the sun never really goes down. Maybe it goes slightly below the horizon, so like it gets a little dim. And so in March, it would be like that. And then on the other side of things, it would be darkness. So anyways, they have their own light. And it's, um, it's like plant lights too. So it's um, going to allow things to grow. And there's grass. There's just a field of grass down below at the bottom of this chasm. A field of grass and a giant lake. And then beyond the lake are just sharp pinnacles of, like, rock. And it just continues on through the crack like that. And nobody goes out there. Um, so that's my world. And I made all that up. But I made it um, based on real life because when I was looking at the Antarctic map... I pinpointed where I wanted them to be. And so when I'm describing the landscape, I'm describing this map of Antarctica as I see it through my sci-fi lack of ice glasses. And so, I don't know, that's just what I find the most fun. And you don't want to drench your book in description. I think I do an okay job of that myself, not putting in too much all at once. But you do want to have, I think, defining scenes where you have maybe a paragraph dedicated to the surroundings. And then after that moment, you don't need to describe that place again, but I think you can put in little bits and pieces that just reinforce where you are. For example... When I describe this lake, um, it's near the beginning of the story. 
but then I'm actually writing a scene that I just currently had so much fun bringing this character into the light, literally. And I hadn't played with the lake light yet, but I was, it was late and it, it's obviously dark everywhere else. The light is slowly dimming on its own timer, so it's kind of dim. And this character is walking up to the light and she's kind of ominous and it's raining and the grass is soggy and she goes to this lake and she reaches in and turns it off and that's where you can play with the description but you've already decided where she is so don't don't reinforce too much like details that you've already mentioned kind of bring it into more specific details so I start with the general details and then in the scene to scene you can get specific and so hopefully that helps you in learning like how to world build a little bit you have to really think about it you don't you don't want to just dive right in because that's when I thought of the whole library thing and that was just not good. The library was, it didn't make sense. And then I was trying to stretch, I was trying to stretch the plot line into like making this work, this library, what's going on with the library and why is it important? But if you have something that is in your story that is not important, you can probably get rid of it. If it has nothing to do with the plot line and if it doesn't have significance, just toss it. That's what I did. I tossed the library and I thought it was going to be a cool library and the description was cool and I have fun with that, but don't get too attached to that kind of stuff. If you're building a world that's getting really hard to imagine yourself in and you're having a hard time with the description, I think it's a good idea to especially if your world is like a little more out there or fantastical. Mine isn't too fantastical. Well, maybe it is. I don't know. It's not fantasy. But um, I recently started just looking up random stock images of cliffs and cave diving and just really cool, awesome, inspirational images. And they put your mind into the book. Like, as you look at these images, you're imagining yourself, is this an image that could have been taken in my world? Even if it's like a fantasy painting or something like that, I think it's really cool to be able to just like look at images and get inspired by them. And even just to put yourself in the mood of your book, I think it's a good idea. And for stories that are more realistic, I would say just imagine yourself doing those things. What would you see? What would you smell? Is it a coffee shop? You know, what coffee shop? You can go to a coffee shop and describe that one coffee shop. And you don't have to go into detail because everyone knows what a coffee shop is. You can just make the setting obvious and then use key points that bring your reader into that world and I would encourage you to experience the scene that you're trying to write the best you can. And right now we can't go into coffee shops. But um, the way that I experience my world is through these photos. 
and through just imagining myself in the character's shoes. And also in world building, I think you can pull from your own personal experiences and your own personal relationships, which I think a lot of people probably already do and don't need to be told that. But um, really dig in because you can find inspiration everywhere. And I'm even finding inspiration for like my characters and who they are, like this um, supporting character, basically. In my own life, I'm finding that inspiration for who this person is and don't make it obvious but you can definitely play with that and use your own experiences because that makes it more real so hopefully for all of you people watchers out there you can start getting back to your craft soon because I know people watching is a big thing for writers and I've done that a little bit to some extent when I was early in my stages of writing and when I was in New York I would just kind of observe people but I didn't learn a lot because you don't really get a sense for the relationships and the dynamics just by watching somebody and I don't really care for real life <laughs> so but I mean like real life is real still like people the way people behave and interact with each other that's real life and you need to kind of understand that in order to paint a good picture and yeah, so that said, this is my takeaway because I'm talking about personal relationships and I'm talking about pulling from your own life. And I was talking about, you know, building a community around yourself. Those are all very social things. And so I think the takeaway from today is actually writing is a social endeavor. And even if you're a homebody like me, even if you're behind a computer or behind a podcast you can still be social and you need to be in order to make this book work and I'm I don't consider myself a very social person I'm perfectly happy I know you extroverts are really struggling out there in the quarantine world and I'm sorry but I'm definitely not one of those people I don't need a bunch of people in my life Maybe I need them at a distance, but, and most of my relationships are like that. Like my best friend from high school. Hi, Melody. <laughs> we never see each other. The last time we saw each other was, I don't know what year it was. It was the last time I went back home, which was a while ago. And my husband and I just live so far away from all the people that we grew up with and all of the people that we know. And even now, all of my people are in New York too, so I'm six hours away, which is much better than across the whole country, but yeah, we're kind of isolated, and it was a struggle out here in Maine. It was a struggle for me to get adjusted to that because I'm just used to being surrounded by more people, I guess, more people my age and just in general like this is a new environment where we aren't necessarily welcome we just have to introduce ourselves and make ourselves welcome um it's a great community everyone's very nice but they're not really in our stage of life and meeting those people in our stage of life around here i think is kind of impossible because they already have their own groups but 
slowly but surely we're trying. And just this morning, my cousin who lives out here, who is the inspiration behind our move, actually, she texted me this morning saying that there was somebody that she remembered who I guess has like a young social writers group in the area, which is very surprising. I guess not really, not too surprising, but hopefully I can connect with them and we'll have something like really strong in common. And back when I was, before quarantine, I was um, going to the YMCA and I was rock climbing and I was meeting people there. But those relationships were like very halted and they kind of already had their group too. So I don't know, inserting ourselves into a new community has been difficult. And this is definitely a bird walk. (laughs) I warned you about these. What I'm trying to say is be more social, guys. Social is good. Maybe I'm telling myself that. That's what I'm doing is I'm telling myself to be more social because I like being in my own comfort zone. I am comfortable there. I don't need a ton of people around me. But hey, if you are a writer and you are excited about writing a novel, specifically, specifically sci-fi slash fantasy, I love fantasy. This just happened to end up in the sci-fi realm. If you happen to meet those criteria, I think we'll get along. So with that, I think today's lesson or question is how are you adding elements of a social lifestyle into your own life, whether it be an online community or a podcast or Instagram or after quarantine, getting together in writers groups, how do these help you and what are the most helpful ways of getting some social you know situations in your life even if you're not that social even if you're a homebody how does this help and with that I am just approaching my driveway and today's goal for myself will be Probably to write most of the day. Let's see if I can actually accomplish a full day of writing. I don't know what the professional writers do. What am I saying? I think ostracizing myself from the professional writers is not a good way to start the day. But um, published authors, maybe. Maybe I'll quickly look at how many hours people generally would put in and make a personal goal for myself. Oh, and actually, um, I think this goes without saying, but I think that bouncing ideas with your community is extremely helpful. And one of the things that helped me the most um, last year when I was trying to get back into writing was a road trip from Maine to Boston. Was it Boston? I think it was Boston with my mom who was in town. And the entire road trip, I think it was like 10 hours, we just talked about my book and the story plot line, and we came up with like some really great ideas. And so for world building and plot line, plot line is my, my struggle, not world building, but whatever it is, lean on your community for ideas. Thank you again for joining me, and I hope you have a great day.